This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast courtesy of the Liverpool Echo here on the Blood Red channel. As Liverpool prepare to face Arsenal twice in the space of four days, we're here to look ahead to the Anfield showdown. Jurgen Klopp's champions may have the firepower, but Mikel Arteta's gunners have proven tough opponents in recent times. Do the Reds have a score to settle? Plus, what's brewing with Rianne? Is Brewster heading for pastures new? And we look back on Thursday night's Carabao crushing of Lincoln City. Alongside myself, Guy Clark, a three of the Echo's finest. Well, I say three of the finest. First up, it's our chief LFC writer, Ian Doyle. Doyle, how are we? I'm okay, yourself? Not so bad, thanks. Sean Bradbury, how are we? Very well, mate. Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed the Lincoln game. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this double header next week, so very good. And Connor Dunn's also with us. Connor, great to have you back on the pod. Thank you, mate. I'm also very well. And in the spirit of Jürgen Klopp's press conference, how are you? Yeah, not so bad. Thanks for having a chat about that before, as well as uh, sampling some of uh, Ian Doyle's CD collection behind it or behind him. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. (laughs) No, nothing whatsoever. Let's get into the action, then the good stuff. While why we are all here, and Doyle, you were obviously at Sintelbank last night, looking at a a youthful red side. Some squad players played as well, and as you summed up in your verdict that we had on the the post game podcast at times last night, it really was the Curtis Jones show. It was. I mean, it was very, very good. I mean, it's nothing new for anybody who's been watching Liverpool for any length of time over the past 12 months. But, uh, but yeah, he just seemed to, you know, well, Liverpool were in control, weren't they, really, from like the first nine minutes when Shakiri knocks in that free kick. But that was won by Curtis Jones and went on to score two cracking goals and had a hand in, a, in another goal. So he couldn't have done much more, you know, in terms of uh, putting himself forward for for greater involvement, say, in the Premier League. But he was doing that towards the end of last season anyway. I think he scored against Aston Villa, didn't he? He had a few decent performances. And it's, it's nothing we don't know already from Curtis. He, he's not somebody who's lacking self-belief and confidence, shall we say. You, you, you can tell that from watching the way he performs. Just, you know, even like the second goal, the turn that he did, just and then just absolutely hammered it. Got a deflection, but it was going in anyway, I would suspect. And certainly his, his, his first goal, that there was, there was no doubt about that one. But... Just his overall game. It was interesting for me that he wasn't particularly playing in a position where, for a long time in the first half, we were wondering where exactly he was in terms of where he was meant to be playing. Sometimes he was in the front three. Sometimes he was back helping out in defence. Sometimes he was just in midfield. And obviously, he was he was one of the. I think we were there. It was three in midfield in the end for all, for all the talk of all the formations. I think Liverpool stuck to a more or less a four-three-three. But it was that fluid, not just with Curtis Jones, but with the likes of Minamino and Shakiri, and I'm sure we'll get on to him in a bit. And one or two others that they were just moving around everywhere, and you know, okay, I know it was Lincoln and the League One, and with no fans being there, it made it a lot easier for Liverpool. That you know, you've seen with all the results in the in the Carabao Cup this week that when a Premier League team has come up against a a lower league team with no fans being there, that's one of the I wouldn't say it's a leveler, but it's certainly something that edges it a bit more towards the the lower league team, especially when you're playing at their grounds. So I would imagine none of the Next to none of the Liverpool players would have played at Lincoln before, and it would have been a world of difference had it been full of fans of, of the locals cheering on their team. I mean, there were a suspiciously high amounts number of uh, of Lincoln officials in the stadium. Has to be said, it's more than I said. There was more there than I've seen at any of the games that have that have been to uh, since we've been behind closed doors. And they made a bit of a racket, to be honest, in the second half when when Lincoln scored, they were proper cheering, so it gave it a little bit, a little bit of atmosphere. But it's nothing like you know if it had it been full, and I think. It was. It became a training ground exercise in the end, and the second half was was madly amusing. Although not for people who were trying to write their reports and wish they just stopped scoring. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I bet. And you mentioned all action, local lad in the, the middle of the park, Sean, wearing the number 17. We've seen that one before, haven't we? We have indeed. Um, yeah, I, I think I think with Curtis, something's been a fuff for a while. Like like Doyle said there, there was those cameos last season. You can, and anyone, again, as Ian said, who's watched, watched him for the younger youth sides, he's, he's clearly been a prospect for a while. But I think there's been a couple of things recently that have told the story as well. In, in pre-season, it was Stuttgart, wasn't it, where he started the game in an otherwise fairly senior side. And he just looked good. He just looked comfortable. And uh, he all, does always back himself, as we've said before. And then I think the other one that gave the game away about intentions for him this season was that sub against Leeds, where he came on on like 65, I think it was, when the game was 3-2, the game wasn't yet won. But, but there he was being introduced to the team when there was other more experienced options on the bench. Um, and I think, yeah, it was just a signal of what to expect. And Tony summed it all up there in terms of his performance, winning that free kick, scoring two great goals. He's just he's just very involved. Um, he's always so impressive. I think that just the way he carries himself on the pitch now, I think he's elevated from being a youngster who maybe looks a bit timid and shows a bit of inexperience. There's just There isn't really any of that with him now. He, he looks the part every time you see him. Um, and yeah, only other point I'd make on him, I, I think it's quite clever the way Klopp's managing his development or outwardly seems to be handling him. You know, he said something last night about we're going to have a lot of fun with Curtis this season. And I, just, I just like that. It kind of takes the pressure off a little bit, maybe encourages him to play his natural game, which is obviously quite expansive and likes to shot from distance, likes to try things, likes to try and be creative. Um, and yeah, I think otherwise, to go back to your original point about, about Gerhard, you know, there, there could well be a lot of pressure on this, on this lad's shoulders quite easily with, with that number and just the, the weight of expectation of a young scouser coming through who's clearly good. But the way that the club is operating at the moment and the way he's being brought through, I think does does take that off his shoulders a little bit. But my favourite thing he did last night was was his acceptance speech when he got his Man of the Match award on TV. It was like he won the best newcomer Oscar. But yeah, I absolutely loved it. I think that's that's what you get with him. He's just, you know, how he is on and off the pitch is, is, so, is so natural. And yes, yeah, it's just great to see. Yeah, what did you make of him, Connor, as well? Because as Sean said, there is going to be pressure on him being a local lad. But I suppose of that midfield makeup, he offers something, I suppose, really maybe Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain's the only other player like it who does have that goal threat so continually within his play from midfield. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's um, it's interesting, isn't it? So obviously we know what Curtis James can do. We've seen what he can do. But the fact is he keeps doing it and he keeps performing. His first team games, it's situations, you know, he won the the free kick for Liverpool's first goal. He's scored in the third. You know, he's put the game beyond Lincoln almost almost himself, really. I think he just had a, too much for them to handle. And I know it's only League One opposition with all respect, but they were coming into that game decent form, beat Bradford 5-0 before that in the uh, second round. So, you know, they're, they're a team full of confidence. They're a young side as well. But yeah, Jones just head and shoulders above above everybody. But yeah, as you say there, could easily be so much pressure on him, but the makeup of this Liverpool team now and the talent that's around, the fact that Trent's coming through and obviously he's like one of the world's best players. He's another scouser. It's just it's a, the tensions are diverted elsewhere. And yeah, as Sean said, the fat club said they're going to have a lot of fun with Curtis Jones. It goes back to obviously what Doyley said. Jones was able just to roam all over the pitch last night and just get involved with everything, link up the play, push it out wide, drive Liverpool forward, beat players, take players on, take shots on, just kind of do what he likes and that's when you clearly see the best side of his game and he was absolutely great to watch. Yeah, he certainly was. A big tick in the box for Curtis Jones and I suppose, Doyle, it was one of those games really where it was a 
go and impress me audition for a, a number of the players for, from Jurgen Klopp's perspective and I suppose in a 7-2 win you can't really have many losers but two players in particular who did sort of look very good on the eye were Takumi Minamino and Jordan Shakiri as well. Well, Minamino, we know about. He's, he's been played very well since basically since lockdown, since they came back. He's been one of Liverpool's most consistent performers, even if he hasn't started, you know, many games. But when he's come on, he's he's done something, and he's starting to get the goals now, isn't he? He got the one against Arsenal in the in the Community Shield, and he's he's got the two on Thursday night, and that was the one thing that okay, I've only been there since January, and about four of the months they weren't playing football, but that was the one thing that was missing. Now he's getting those numbers. It could only help him. Uh, in terms of Shakiri, it was interesting because no one has ever doubted his his quality. It, the problem is that was his first start since last December against Monterey in the in the, the Club World Cup semi-final in Qatar. So it's all very well being very good at football, but if you're not out there, what's the point of you even being there? So for him, it was a little reminder, possibly to himself than anybody else, that he could that he can still do it. And I, it was interesting because he definitely did play in a deeper role. He was part of the midfield three, which we haven't. Whenever we only have seen that. Very, very few times he's kind of been at the tip of the, you know, a diamond as such, or a triangle with three people, obviously. But that's where he's been performing. But he was definitely on the left. He was more deep. There was one part in the uh, in the first half where Lincoln had a break, and he was the one who got back and kind of cut a out. I think it was a yeah, yeah, cut yeah. out a diagonal ball, and you were thinking you'd never have normally seen that from Shakiri. So I think he had something of a point to prove because I think. Liverpool, I would be amazed if Liverpool sold him now, to be honest. It's gone too late into the window and he's definitely a player if they sold him, they have to replace him. So he's someone that's going to be useful for Liverpool if he's fit. I mean, Klopp bought him. Klopp knows what he's like. He's worked with him for a couple of years now. He worked. He was up against him in, in Germany. So you've got to bear in mind that Shakiri was the player who, when, I think it was 18, no, nearly two years ago now, wasn't it? When, uh, after the World Cup and you had Firmino, Salah and Mane perhaps weren't at their very best, he kind of stepped up, they changed the formation. And it's interesting that you've heard this kind of talk from Klopp and Pep Linders over the last couple of weeks about wanting to be more unpredictable and doing more formations. And that kind of plays into Shakiri's hand because he's somebody who can play in a number of positions. And the more Liverpool open up their tactical you know, innovations, it's, it's, you've got more chance of getting into the team. So, I mean, probably he... We might mention Marco Gruic in a bit. You know, that was his first appearance since in December 2017. But... The, the biggest comeback of the night was either Gruwich or, or Shakiri's hair. <laughs> Connor, I just wondered what you... <laughs> I, to, to be fair, though, the less said about the hair from you and I, the, the better. We best move on from... How's he managed it? The, How has he managed it? <laughs> no idea whatsoever. Me and you need to take note. But, uh, Connor, on Jordan Shakiri, you asked Jurgen Klopp after the game in his press conference about him. And he did even say on, on Doyle's point about injuries and staying fit, he did even sort of reference that Jurgen Klopp saying, well, wasn't he actually sure if he had a groin strain, he's abso- uh, a calf strain, he's absolutely fine. But there is still that niggling doubt in the back of the mind. Yeah, so I think there was a moment where um, Shakiri might have held his ankle and Klopp mentioned it in his press conference and he went down and touched his ankle twice. So he was just a little bit concerned that there might something be wrong. Um, obviously, with the injury record Shakiri has, it's only going to be natural, isn't it? Because with a player like that, you want to try and keep him fit. And as long as he stays fit, he's clearly got the talent. I think Doyle wrote in the live blog last night that this is what Shakiri can do. He's got that little bit of quality that can win games, that can turn games, that can, you know, get a team on the front foot and provide something. And we obviously saw that last night. And yes, it's interesting in terms of Klopp bringing him off, saying he made a bit of a mistake because obviously Shakiri came off and said, no, no, boss, I'm, I'm absolutely fine. But obviously Cater introduced to the game, then Liverpool scored another anyway. So perhaps the right time to bring him off, neither here nor there really. But yeah, again, as Doyle said, I think I'd be, 
very surprised now if Shakiri was sold. I think last night especially was proof that he, he's got something to add to this Liverpool team. He's got the dead ball specialism. His set pieces all last night were fantastic. His crosses whipping in from the corners from out wide were brilliant. Showed that he can drop a bit deeper, link the play and spread the ball. He's obviously got a bit of other talent that we haven't really seen too much of him at Liverpool. Obviously Klopp knows him really well. So I think it's a bit of an exciting time as long as he stays fit. I think that's all that matters. Yeah, it does seem that way. And uh, Sean, on Takumi Minamino, I saw you tweet last night basically saying of the, the two Arsenal games coming up, which one does he deserve to start in? So best ask you that question yourself, because he can't be far off playing that Premier League match. No, I, I think that's the thing. I mean, it, we've said countless times on these pods over the years how significant Roberto Firmino is to this Liverpool team. Um, if you can make one criticism of him, it's it's... Perhaps the goals, um, I mean, you know, as we always say, though, it's it's his role in the team is about so much more beyond that. But the thing, like Doyle said, Minamino started adding the goals to his game and you, you can't discount that, you can't ignore it. But it was the other side of it as well. I thought that was so impressive last night. He's really starting to get in the swing of that Firmino-style role. It's such an idiosyncratic thing. And we've got a player there who does look like he's got a broadly similar skill set. You know, he's... A great worker. Um, he was he was dropping deep into spaces, or always seeking the space. And then when he was there, I thought he was making really good decisions yesterday. He looked a bit more physical as well. And like one of the first things he did was ball was played into him, did a nice sort of kind of drag back turn and held off a defender, pinged it out to the wing. And it's just like he's he's getting the hang of this, um, which is great to see. Did well with his back to goal, I thought, loads of nice neat little layoffs and a lot of things that you would expect from Roberto Firmino and almost Roberto Firmino alone. So yeah, it's it's one of them things, I think that Liverpool and, and the first team are going to have to get used to this this season. We've made signings this summer and obviously Minamino arriving not that long ago. We were, we were there now to put direct pressure on them. Um, and yeah, I think he's I think he's he's banging on the door. Whether you would, we'll come on to team selection, obviously, whether you would take Firmino out of the team against Arsenal, who he, he does love a goal against for Monday night at least would be a big call. But yeah, any if anyone on the fringes is next in line for a Premier League start, I think it is Minamino. Yeah, I wrote in my analysis actually after the game that one Firmino is going to be a little bit worried that his spot that was once so steady, so strong is definitely under big threat. But also Klopp and Edwards when signing Minamino, this is exactly what they would have wanted. You know, the seven million they paid for Minamino is an absolute snip considering what he's bringing to the table now. And as Sean said, he was dropping deep. He's sort of developing into that Firmino role where he's swinging between the lines. He's making defenders lose total track of where he is and Again, yeah, linking the play a bit deeper and I just thought he looked really good. And yeah, it's certainly going to be an interesting call. I, don't, I think Firmino is still going to be top of the list for Arsenal. Again, as you want to say, we'll come on to team selection, but Minamino sure is close, isn't he? It was interesting what Klopp said after the game. He was asked about Minamino, where's his best position or where's he going to be playing? And he said down the middle. And that is obviously in reference to, you know, Diogo Jota uh, signing who came on and made his debut in the second half and played on the left-hand side. And I think obviously... There are two players who can play in either of those positions, but it's clear that Klopp has said, right, I prefer you to be playing there and I prefer you to be playing there, partly because that's where they're used, they're used to playing. And uh, but having said that, I thought I thought Minamino, when he's been on the left, that it was the Newcastle game last season, there was a couple of games this season where that's where he's, he's, looked, he's looked better. And it, it is interesting because he, when he was thrown in for his debut, that was against Everton, wasn't it, in the FA Cup? I'm pretty sure he played down the centre against Shrewsbury at Shrewsbury in the in the FA Cup. I might be wrong on that one, but he didn't. Yeah, you, know, you could tell it was going to take him a while. But you know, as the lads have said, he's been at the club. What is it now? Eight, 
nine months. I'm sure if they'd have signed him in the summer for three times the amount, the fans now would be going, oh, what a, what a great signing. But because he was seven and a quarter million pounds in, in January, and he's been, you know, he, he did, was off the radar for about six months. He hasn't quite had the same build-up as the others, but it's allowed him to to do what Andy Robertson did, to do what Fabinho did, and that's get used to the way that Liverpool want to play. Don't forget how hard it is getting into this team. The, the, the Premier League champions, the you know, the, the European Cup winners the year before, and they're the, still the reigning world champions. So it's not a bad team to get into. And if he is going to be pressing Firmino's place, then they only everybody wins because Firmino was obviously going to have to start playing better than he is. Um, Minamino, if he gets in, will have that confidence. And of course, what a great selection problem for Jurgen Klopp, one that he's perhaps not been able to make over the past 18 months, two years. Yeah, one other player I wanted to, to bring up before we move on and talk about a player who wasn't involved but caused plenty of uh, chat around him um, is is Nico Williams, Connor, because obviously he's sort of the deputy right fullback for Liverpool right now. He's had a real rapid rise over the last 12 months. I really sort of seem to remember the Arsenal Carabao Cup game last season at Anfield and sort of bursting onto the scene in that game. And a few people sort of commenting that he maybe didn't look all too comfortable at Sinselbank. I suppose it's, it's one of those with a young player, you've got to have patience with them. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is probably the biggest point that I could make. He's only 19. Not all teenagers develop at exactly the same rate. Not everyone at 19 is going to be this well-beaten, world-class star. You think of the age of Van Dijk, Salah, Mane, now they're 12, 26, 27, 28, 29 even. It takes players longer to develop into the world-class and Nico Williams might just be one of those. Okay, he might not have had the best game last night, but, you know, he's still from well. He's still got forward. He might he had a mistake, obviously, for their goal, a bit of over-exuberance in the tackle that meant he was out of position. But he didn't play quite as badly as some people might have made out. Um, I just thought some of the criticism that was levelled of him, on social media particularly, is a bit unjust, um, particularly considering the rise, as you rightly mentioned, that he's had. You know, he is challenging the best not even young right-back in world football, the best right-back in world football. And the fact that he is challenging him, the fact that he is, you know, sometimes swapping in and out for Trent Alexander-Arnold is massive testament to Nico Williams. You know, he's earned praise from Klopp. He's earned praise from Ryan Giggs. These are, you know, people that know a lot about football. And he's, he's playing well for club and country. And the odd, you know, sketchy performance, should we say, shouldn't really be looked at too harshly with, with a teenage footballer. On, on that, just while we're on it, I, I, I just don't understand it. I don't get the thought process of coming away from a 7-2 victory and thinking, well, first of all, just being being unhappy with that. Like, you know, I'd take a 7-2 win in every single game that I watch of the club that I support. It's, you know, it, it's entertaining. It's great. But like to come away from it and think, I know what I need to do here and I have to give a teenage player stick online on social media. I think some of the some of the fringe elements of online modern fandom are, are quite warped and um I can only presume it's based on a lot of pencil banger and a, and a bit of sadness. It's it was it was disappointing to see and and I think all fan bases are obviously have idiots. There's especially clubs who are as big as Liverpool are now and are thriving and are, you know they're they're gonna have fans everywhere, aren't they? And it, it's unavoidable. But to see what some of what we saw last night was 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 really grim. Um yeah so I think it's on supporters and it's on publications like ourselves really to try and call people out on that because it wasn't acceptable. It's just a lot of it's just attention seeking and, and jealousy. I mean, and the other thing as well is that I'm pretty sure that 
there will be some people who go, oh, hang on, if, if Nico Williams does well here and, and he becomes our right back, that means we won't be spending any money on a new right back and we want a new right back because we want a new signing and we, we like a new face. And what about this Brazilian guy who's joining Man City or whoever have you? You know, <laughs> there's a whole load of that. And forget social media and all of that. It's always been difficult, more difficult when I've started watching for a young lad to come through at any club because, and I know he's obviously Welsh, he's not from Liverpool, but there's a certain there's a certain attachment to players who come through the ranks and they're judged a lot more harshly than perhaps many of the you know the the, the others many of the you know, say a new signing they always get told that oh they got time to get to bed in whatever have you but these days they're just it's not just Liverpool it's all of them they have one bad game and we've seen it with with lots of other players at different clubs where they'll just be like oh quite clearly he's rubbish it's like well, hang on Nico Williams has started 10 games for Liverpool 10 that's it you know so I'm pretty sure all these people in whatever you know, sphere of employment they're in. Pretty sure after 10 days working there, they weren't absolutely world-class at what they're doing. You know what I mean? I know it's, it's not quite as simple as that, but I, th- I think there is some kind of comparison to be made. I just, you know, at a time when a couple of years ago, everyone was saying that footballers aren't connected to the fans and the distant and all this, that and the other. Now that they're on social media and they're actually engaging with fans, why did fans, some fans, and it's not loads, it's, in fact, it's not even like, a minority, it's very few of them, but very vocal and, and trying to make a, an impression for themselves. And they've all, they've always got like accounts that don't have their actual real names on as well, by the way, you know, because they never want to be called out on it. It's but, with the regs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so, but then why would they then do that and then f- make footballers think twice about wanting to engage with supporters when re- realistically that's what they want to do? It's just other human beings talking to other human beings. So, and the, and the point is, he wasn't actually that bad at all. Might no, have I mean, been rushed on the ball. Yeah. Might have made a no-brick-zebrick tackle, but in 90 minutes, he's a 19-year-old lad and played all right. So, he's got to learn. <laughs> if, if you're going to learn from a game, learn from a game where you've won 7-2. Yeah. I mean, it would have been a bit different if he got they got beat 7-2 and he'd been responsible for five of the goals. Then there might be a... But then, of course, the, the thing there is that then they won't absolutely slaughter him because then they go, oh, that's a... You know, we can't be too cruel on him. So, I don't know. People, eh? The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Let's move on and let's talk about Rian Brewster Doyley, who wasn't involved in the match day squad. And amid interest on Monday, we were talking about Crystal Palace. Their chairman, of course, Steve Parrish, came out and sort of rubbished that one. But now it's Sheffield United who seem to sort of be one of the teams heading the queue to, to take him away from Anfield. Where are we with Rian Brewster? Do you think come the, the deadline he'll still be a Liverpool player or not? Well, as you say, he wasn't in the squad, was he, for the game at uh, at Lincoln, whereas Marco Grujic, we mentioned, and Harry Wilson was on the bench, which surprised me. can't remember the last time he was involved in a Liverpool game, although he didn't get on. But, uh, yeah, Bruce is an interesting one. We, you've obviously done the, the Palace thing earlier this week, which was in, in itself a little bit odd. Um, but now it, from the word from you know, from our from our colleagues over in uh, at Sheffield and what's going on there is that Basically, Chris Wilder, the Sheffield United boss, wants to sign him. We know we've spoken to Jurgen Klopp. He's presumably spoken to the player as well and his representatives. And he wants to sign him on a permanent deal. But for whatever reason, Sheffield United are just eh, not so sure now. Don't know. And whether or not this is the whole coronavirus pandemic finances kicking in, especially within the last week, obviously clubs who thought that they were going to get some fans being allowed back in, it looks like that's not going to be happening for a little while longer. So whether that's making some clubs think twice, I don't know. But at the moment, it looks as though Sheffield United, everybody wants him at Sheffield United, with the exception of the person who actually has the money and wants to hand it over. And as you know, that's always the most important person in any of these deals. So 
unless that changes, it looks like he won't be going there. No, we've obviously seen his name, Sean, touted about to a number of different clubs. Do we, th- do we get sort of the, the feeling from the Rian Brewster camp, really, that this is a move that the, youngster, the, the young lad wants to go and play regular football? Because obviously, whether it be during pre-season, albeit he did play uh, against Salzburg, but whether it be pre-season or the early games, he's not really had an involvement. And obviously, after having that taste of first-team football at Swansea, he probably wants a bit more. Yeah, I think he's well within his rights to do so. I mean, he's he's 20 years of age now, isn't he? And, and like you said, he had that spell where he, he joined the club very quickly, acclimatised the type of football they were they wanted to play and scored one and two, didn't he? I think it was 11 in, in 22 games or something like that. So I think he would probably see it as, as a backward step if he wasn't playing first-team football somewhere um, this season and he'd have every right to, especially after what he's got through in his career to get to this point. I think he probably still feels he's making up for lost time after his injuries. And it's a testament to him that he's that he's at this stage where we have potentially got brinksmanship and several Premier League clubs vying for him and waiting to make their move and seeing how things develop. You know that he could have been he could have let those injuries get to him and and physically and mentally have, have not recovered really from it. Um, but he ha- he has done. He's shown he deserves a crack at the top level. And yeah, I think I think unfortunately that at this stage isn't going to be at Liverpool. I, I do hope if, if he does leave on a permanent deal over the coming weeks. I do hope there is a buyback clause inserted there because I just think, you know, everything he's gone through so far in his in his career at Liverpool, it would be it would be a great story to see him lead the line for Liverpool one day. But we've already talked about all the forward options Liverpool have now, how many of them impressed last night, how many of them have impressed so far this season. I think that point about unpredictability, I think you're going to see that spelled out in lineups. I think we'll see Mane, Salah, Firmino, Minamino, Central, you know, when you've got, let's say, those four, at least Origi, others ahead of you in the pecking order for your your one position, effectively. Um, yeah, it, it's the right time for him to move on, but we'd love to see him back one day. Yeah, there is just that dearth of talent, isn't there? Now at the top end of the pitch, Connor, with Diogo Jota arriving. Sean mentioned Divock Origi, who obviously didn't have the most impressive of showings at, at Central Bank yesterday, but he did get the goal right at the end, just as the keyboard warriors were beginning to, to warm up, you feel. But for Brewster, probably time's right to go off, try pastures new, and hopefully come back to Anfield a better, more rounded player one day down the line. Yeah, definitely. Um a young player who deserves his chance at regular first-team football, deserves to lead the line for a club. That isn't going to be Liverpool right now, as we've discussed. But as we've, as you we said, he's been touted. His name's been touted for a number of clubs, seven Premier League clubs, all three clubs that went down last season. And that is testament to how highly rated he is, not just inside Anfield, but elsewhere, everywhere, it feels like. So, you know, I hope something gets over the line. I hope it's of a a structure and a deal structure that helps everybody, including Liverpool, the buyback clause, the money coming in over a period of time or not. Just I hope it all just sort of works itself out and I hope that those things aren't sticking points that means he has to stay until January. But I have every faith that Liverpool will get it over the line. Yeah, Jurgen Klopp was unsurprisingly not really wanting to open up and talk about that too much in his press conference today, Dorley. Neither too was he really as to whether Thiago Alcantara will start on Monday against Arsenal. But we best begin to look ahead to the game. And after his cameo at Stamford Bridge, I think a lot of fans would probably like to see Thiago go from the start, especially given the fact that Jordan Henderson is going to miss the game. Well, yeah, uh, Jurgen Klopp confirmed that we kind of knew from what Pep Linners was saying last week that Henderson was a touch and go for the Arsenal game looks like he well he's not going to be playing there the, the, the inter- interesting thing about Thiago as well is that, oh, I think I've already mentioned this a couple of times but 
if you add in the, the Carabao Cup game next week, Liverpool would have played 15 games behind closed doors and four of them would have been against Arsenal. So they played Arsenal twice fairly recently. They know what to expect from Arsenal. If Thiago plays, it gives Arsenal something different to think about because they won't have come up against him before. Um, obviously, quite how that works out in terms of the centre-backs. I think, I think Joe Gomez is going to be okay. Otherwise, Fabinho might have to play centre-back again. So I'm sure we'll get, on, we'll get on to the team selection in a bit. But in terms of Thiago, he would be the obvious one to come in from the start. And the fact that he didn't play or wasn't even involved against Lincoln suggests that you probably certainly at least be on the bench, but I would I would not be surprised if he starts against Arsenal simply for the the reasons that we just said. He looks like he's he's ready just to, to step straight in, and given the way that you know Arsenal reverts into the boring Arsenal stereotype of the you know the eighties and nineties, why you'd want to grow up supporting Arsenal, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> but but he, uh, he he can he can he's somebody who can who can play those passes from deep and give Arsenal something different to worry about because. If there was one thing that happened in the community shield, certainly the first half, weirdly, Arsenal dominated the midfield until Liverpool changed things around uh, in the second half. Yeah, we know where my loyalties lie in this, Sean. But as Doyle was sort of referencing there with Thiago, he might actually be the ideal player to sort of come into this game because don't expect the, I suppose, old-style Arsenal under... The, the back end of Arsene Wenger and Unai Emery's reign where they would come to Anfield, pitch the back four up on the halfway line and let Salah run in behind. Can't imagine really seeing that, but if they are going to sit deep, that might play into Thiago's hands. Yeah, I'd say so. I think it, it is a difficult decision though. And obviously, as already said, we'll, we'll come on to team selections, but there's, there's this kind of weird little temporary domino effect, if you like, in terms of Fabinho and where he plays and whether he does need to play at centre-back. And, my overriding thing is would be I wouldn't rush Gomez back, but then the difficulty there then becomes you haven't got Henderson in midfield, um, and do you throw Thiago into a midfield which itself hasn't played together that often? Um, that's difficult. But I think tactically you, you, you make a fair point there, and you know Klopp was talking about that wasn't either way Arsenal defending a kind of five-four-one, uh, and you know talking about their kind of tactical flexibility, but what to expect. And I almost think now that Thiago does have that big advantage of having got those minutes against Chelsea. I know it was only a half. I know it was against 10 men. But, you know, with what he's faced in front of him in terms of defensive ranks to try and break down, I don't think it'll be that dissimilar at times. Certainly, well, as you say, in, in the defensive shape of Arsenal, obviously I think Arsenal will, will threaten more on the counter and, and when they do get on the ball than Chelsea did, they, they've got a bit more verve even in that setup and more cohesion. The lads up front obviously know each other's games well, don't they, compared to Werner and Havertz, who are still getting used to things. So, yeah, I'd, he said, Klopp said he was in, in contention. I'd, I'd expect to see him on Monday, especially as Doyle said after he completely sat it out last night. He said he was in contention with a rather wry smile, I might add. Um, <laughs> but why buy a 29-year-old if he's not ready to come straight in, is my kind of feeling. He's obviously really highly decorated, world-class, super talented, saw that against Chelsea straight away. He's got all the attributes that, you know, teams that sit deep and that low block kind of tactic against Liverpool. Like if Thiago's given that free reign to kind of pick off passes, he'll do that absolutely at will. And then by the same coin, if teams try and get up and get around him a bit, it's going to open up space in the defence. So I think he's got to start. 
Jurgen Klopp's not one for really wanting to get into rivalries. We saw that last week, obviously, with all of the Frank Lampard stuff. But, Doyle, as you say, with the two games that have not gone Liverpool's way in these last two meetings with Arsenal, actually, Liverpool have only lost one. The other one was a penalty shootout. So, really was a, a really was a draw. Do Liverpool go into this with a score to settle? Does this group of players have that mentality about them of, well, actually, these ones did get one over on us, we want to beat them? Or do you think it's just a case of, as Jurgen Klopp always likes to say, we just sort of attack every game as it comes around? I think individually, like, you look at Van Dijk, will be quite keen not to make the same mistake that he made against uh, that he made against Arsenal in the the game at, at, at least at Highbury then, uh, the game at the Emirates back in whichever, when, when was it? July. July, yeah, there. 15th of July, yeah. That feels like forever ago, doesn't it? What is it, about two and a bit months? God. Uh, anyway, yeah, so no, I don't think Liverpool have a score to sell. I think um, Klopp, as he said, he said quite a few times now, he's got a lot of respect for Arteta. You've got to bear in mind that I think the, make-up, the Arsenal team that we're seeing now under Arteta is more like... You'll have learned this while he was at Everton under David Moyes. And while he's obviously spent all that time working with Pep uh, Guardiola at Man City, I think you never saw City play like this. They're just getting the basics right. And that's what a lot of teams have tried to do against Liverpool in the last two years. And most of them have, have failed. And I think, yeah, it was a draw the last one, wasn't it? Um, and the only reason Arsenal got anything from the game at the Emirates was the two massive mistakes from a Liverpool team that were already thinking of you know finishing the season just just getting through these games because they'd already they'd already won the league and you know Mikel Arteta said after that game he said that the chasm the gap between the two teams is absolutely enormous and I don't think it's any surprise that Arsenal went on, went on to win the FA Cup by beating Chelsea and City playing exactly the same way because it kind of that that is exactly what the best they can do with the players that they've got and now that they've made one or two signs, it'll be interesting to see how that develops, but it won't be developing on Monday because there's no way that Arsenal do anything other than what's proven quite successful for them. So Liverpool know what they have to overcome, and that's why we've mentioned Thiago will be of uh, of importance, I think. And that's the question. I don't think Liverpool players will be massively keen to beat Arsenal because it's Arsenal. They just want to win it's every game. Yeah, we might see a, a different game between these two sides, Sean, though, because in the 11 meetings since Jurgen Klopp's come in, he's never seen Liverpool not score against Arsenal. In fact, 33 goals in 11 games. There have been 21... Any manager. Well, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you... <laughs> to be fair, Brendan, Brendan Rodgers' last game against Arsenal was a nil-nil draw at, at the Emirates, so that's that one put to, to bed, but... Let's get back on. Let's get back on track. And, and Sean, I, I suppose we are going to see a different game because quite often these games are very open, very expansive, and Liverpool score a lot more goals than Arsenal. But this time, as we've already sort of been saying, it is a very different Arsenal team, and Liverpool might have to be patient in breaking them down. Yeah, I think as well that with with both teams having won their, their first couple of games, and and that being the case with quite a few other teams, and. You know, I'm not saying that this pack that's on two wins, you know, Palace and Everton and others, is is going to be a six, seven, eight way title race. But you know, it, it, there's pressure on teams already to start getting results. I think, and yeah, I think Arsenal would would be happy to come and get a draw. I think Liverpool will, will be desperate to get a win though, just because you know this this little phase now in terms of um, the games ahead of the international break to, to get ahead. If Liverpool were let's say top of the league um, at, at the end of this little run. You know, you, you to be the pace setters there and to have that early little start over City, I think, would be massive. So, 
yeah, I think Liverpool will be going all out on, on Monday. Going back to settling a score, the, the, what this week has reminded me of, those two games that were played way back in um, January 2007. I, I remember like going to Anfield twice in the space of a few days and there was that crazy FA Cup game where I think Liverpool got beat 3-1. And then that even crazier League Cup game where it was like 6-3 or something. Um, so yeah, hopefully they're, they're as entertaining as those two, but results the other way around, fingers crossed. Yeah, I do you. not want them that entertaining. Thank you very much. Oh, you. A, a nice, a nice three nil with all the goals in the first half. Thank you. That's what we'll need. For yeah, both was, games. I think there was a hat trick for Julio Baptista in an Arsenal shirt. Did he score four? Did he score four? I think it might be four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Did you have a score another goal ever? In his no, career? I, I was going to say pretty much all he ever did in <laughs> in an Arsenal shirt. But Connor, you were you were taking the mic before. It feels this season with Liverpool that last year where. Even from the first whistle in the Premier League, it was don't slip up, keep winning these games. And we saw that brilliant start to the season. This year with Liverpool, it feels as though being champions, there's more of a relaxed, assured confidence. Yes, need to keep winning these games, but maybe not putting as much pressure on themselves. Yeah, I think it feels a little bit different. Um, And I don't know if that's because of the actual level of squad depth they have now and the level of youth and talent they have coming through obviously that's testament to Klopp and Edwards and everybody at the club really that's developed that because if you think about I wrote in my snap analysis after on the whistle last night if you think about not even very long ago if you hear Klopp's made 10 changes to his side that won for a cup game you'd be thinking well fingers crossed basically but now you're kind of looking at this team and sort of going into every game thinking, yeah, this will probably be okay. Um, see what they can do. Probably get a win out of this. See what another team... I think it's up, I think it's now probably, as the champions, it's up to another team to come and show what they can do against Liverpool. The rest of the Premier League, the rest of the world knows exactly what Liverpool are about, exactly what Liverpool can do. And it's up to, exactly, it's up to someone else to kind of show, to stop them doing what they can do and prove that they have something something more this season so yeah I think it does feel a little bit different and again as I think I agree with Sean in terms of Liverpool I think Liverpool do want to strike back I think Liverpool do want to hit back against Arsenal they don't like losing do they and that's they say it all the time and I think the community shield even despite being on penalties would have hurt yeah definitely let's get into the team selection because I think ahead of Monday night's game there's plenty of time to think about it but I do think it's quite an intriguing one maybe the first poser of the the season really for Jurgen Klopp to really have to think in depth about his team selection for a game but Doyle start with you and I imagine we're all going to be in agreement Alison Becker is the goalkeeper how would you think that the back four is likely to line up Doyle? Well if Joe Gomez is fit um I would imagine if he's fit, that means that he can't he can't have been that injured in the first place, which is what Jurgen Klopp said at the time. So if he's fit, he's got to play. And then you've got the rest of them. Trent's had a rest. Andy Robertson's had a rest. And, uh, and Virgil van Dijk may as well have had a rest in the first half, to be honest. I'm not even sure he actually ran at any points. And when the first half ended, he just he just got off. But he was like, got to go home, just get a taxi and get home before everybody else. But uh, no, he was still there at the end. So yeah, the normal, the normal back four. The only question I'd put to that is Joe Gomez at the beginning of last season struggled to sort of get into the side. Matip was in there. I think even Lovren at one stage got ahead of him coming back into the side. And if Fabinho is, I suppose, the man in possession of the jersey, does Jurgen Klopp, Sean, maybe not think about actually just keeping it how it is for for the time being? I I would be sorely tempted to do that were Henderson available. Uh, And I'd work back from midfield there. And yeah, I mean, I think in terms of rhythm, Van Dijk and Fabinho obviously looked excellent against Chelsea. Thought Fabinho wasn't necessarily shaky when he came on against Lincoln, but like the, the line became a bit shaky, and it was just this was a 
slightly weird situation for him to come on, come on into, even though it was obviously like a pre-planned substitution. Um, and, you know, the, the intensity of the game dropped off a little bit, didn't it? So he didn't look as good as he did against Chelsea. But were everyone fit, I'd, I'd play Fabinho alongside Van Dijk. But I, I agree with Dory. I think it, it has to be Gomez to free Fabinho up to play in midfield. I mean, I agree. I agree about Gomez because when we did the team selector before the uh, the the Chelsea game, I actually had Matip playing rather than Gomez. Didn't know Matip was injured then, obviously, but I thought Gomez was quite poor against Leeds. And you know, it's whether or not he can respond to that. I mean, it will be interesting to see because if Fabinho plays in midfield, as we mentioned, uh, sorry, Fabinho plays centre back, as we mentioned before, it opens up so many possibilities in midfield. Yeah, just actually yeah. looking. Sorry, just I am going for Fabinho in centre back. Yeah, I was just tempted on that one, just because looking at, at just in the meantime, just pulled up last season's fixture lists. And after the opening game of the season in the Premier League against Norwich, Joe Gomez came out of the side and he played then against MK Dons in the third round of the Carabao Cup. But not really another game of note, I suppose, till that Champions League game, the uh, the first home game of the Champions League campaign, the 4-3 against Red Bull Salzburg, where he didn't have a, a great game. So... I think we're split on this one. I think I'm with I'm with Connor. How are we looking in midfield? Anybody going to go for a, a crazy tactical change or are we all going 4-3-3? Three, three? I'm going to explain <laughs> Fabinho first, if that's yeah, all right. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah sorry, um, sorry. No, um, I was just going to say, despite the form of last season, despite him not having, you know, the best of preseason, the best game against Lee Joe Gomez, I don't know if we'd want to rush him back anyway because the last thing you'd want is him to get further injured and then have to play Fabinho. Again, as we said, Van Dijk and Fabinho played so well against Chelsea. The players were all bang up for it. So might as well let them continue, to be honest. I think there'd be easier options for Gomez not to have Aubameyang cutting inside against him. I've changed my mind. I'm on Fabinho centre-back. Okay. (laughs) Sean, you were tempted before. Are you you saying we... Um. I'm 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 plowed all over for oh now. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to my guns. So okay, I'll, I'll give you my midfield. So yeah, Gomez a centre back. I'll go Fabinho, Thiago, and Juan Aldum. So at least there's you know a measure of consistency there. Probably two of the three, you know, usual kind of big name midfielders, if you like, for for a game of this stature. And and yeah, Thiago, maybe a little bit further forward than he was against Chelsea, but give him a little bit a lot more license to just ping that ball around. Doyle, what's your midfield looking like? I'm going to have two in midfield. I'm going to have Thiago with the Widge, those two at the base, because Thiago was used to, I know he, he played as a one a number of times about Bayern Munich, but most of the times he's playing in a two. So what better way to get him in there than to get alongside somebody who, I'm not saying he's the same kind of player, but <laughs> yeah, who'd, who'd have thought that like Thiago and Van Al would be lining up with the same Liverpool team? There you go. And Connor. Yeah, I wanted to as well. If you've got Fabinho in centre-back, he's obviously not, you know, the senior centre-back, he's a senior defensive midfielder. Um, the two will give a lot more protection to the defence. And I think that is that is what I'd want to see, not necessarily what we're going to see. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys. I think 4-2-2-2 two, two, two is the way to go in this. It was sort of what Liverpool did in the Community Shield game to open up Arsenal. I think Arsenal playing with that midfield two and a back three. I think more players at the top end of the pitch might do some damage. So, Doily, you're going, whether it be 4-2-3-1 or with a, a sort of forward four, who are you lining up in, in that position, those positions and in which formation? Well, I'll probably go three, although let's be honest, they'll just do what they want because the players don't take any notes to me when I send them out there. They just do what they want. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like they know more about football than I do. Weird that. Um, 
I'm going to go with Mane on the left, Salah on the right, Minamino in behind, Firmino. There you go. Sean, you, you you're still going for four three three. Where are we at with that? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna play the usual suspect. So Firmino and his proud goal scoring record against Arsenal, he stays. And obviously, yeah, Salah and Mane either side of him. But I'm gonna have Minamino on the touchline warming up throughout the game. Eyeballing <laughs> Firmino. Saying one one false step from you and I'm coming on. Um yeah, and then you've got the option. To be honest, that you make a good case and especially given the second half of the community shield, that you've got the option then of Minamino on and, and switching the shape if uh, if it, it needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Who's in midfield? My midfield. Yeah. For Fabinho, Thiago, and one album. He, he did go through that one before. You must have been yeah, having, exactly. having a nap then, don't you? Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. Yeah. Connor, how's the top end of the pitch looking for you? Yeah, look, I think a three and a one with the two will do a lot of damage. But it'll be so fluid as a four with Minamino and Firmino swapping places, same players as Doily. Then you've obviously got Jota to come on. Curtis Jones might be on the bench. There's just so much talent that you can bring on. The players can work exceptionally hard, do loads of damage early on, and then bring in the reinforcements if needed. Yeah, we'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Before we go then, let's quickly go around with our score prediction. Sean, I'll come to you first for this. Uh, 3-1 to Liverpool. Doily? Um, five all. No, not really. Um, <laughs> That's Thursday. Two, yeah, <laughs> don't say that. Um, <laughs> but it will be 2-1. Two, 2-1 two, to Liverpool. And Connor? 3-1 Liverpool. Well, we'll have to wait. An optimistic 3-1, though. Yeah, we'll have to see how it plays <laughs> out. I, I personally, I'll go against loyalty. I think it will be 2-0 to, to Liverpool, but we'll have to Nil. wait and see. You don't, you don't think Arsenal will score? No, I don't think they will, no. I do. I think they'll score, yeah. Well, we'll have to we'll have to see how it does play out but that's all from us here on the blood red podcast enjoy your weekend ahead of next week's feast of football to come at anfield check out everything else we have on offer across on the liverpool echo website as well as on the blood red channel whether that be podcast offerings or our dedicated youtube channel the link to our twice daily newsletter can also be found in the description and if you like rate review or subscribe that's always very much appreciated thanks for your time and company it's bye for now You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.